0: This is the third episode of the Elephant in the Womb podcast. Continuing on from our last episode, we'll be speaking about medicated birth experiences again, as well as preeclampsia and induction. I'll let you know that the information in my blog and in this podcast are for informational purposes only. This information is not a substitute for medical advice or medical treatment. As always, your primary care provider, a doctor, or another health professional is your best resource for specific questions and medical advice. If you believe you or a loved one are experiencing a medical emergency, please contact 911. Today, I have on with me Paige, who's also going to be talking about her medicated birth experience. So, Paige, if you just want to introduce yourself briefly.
1: Okay, I'm Paige. I have an almost nine month old at home now. And I had a medicated birth due to preeclampsia at 38 weeks and two days gestation. Almost nine months.
0: So you're like a month ahead of us.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you were pregnant around the same time. And then I saw when she was born, I was like, wow, I had mine early.
0: (laughs) Anything exciting going on in baby's life right now?
1: (laughs) Um, He has five teeth. He's about to get his sixth um he's about ready to walk and we are kind of getting ready to um introduce him to like baby dolls and stuff like that since he's going to have a little sibling on the way soon oh exciting i didn't know that yeah i'm not very far along at this point but um i'm I'm a couple months pregnant now
0: That's exciting. So I'm gonna start by asking you about your pre labor and caregiver experience. Um, so I know that did you you saw an OB like team, right?
1: Yes, I did. I saw a team of five different obstetricians and a women's health nurse practitioner.
0: And how was your overall experience with all of them? Good, bad, in between?
1: Overall it was a really good experience. I had 3 OBs that I really liked. I didn't meet one of them and she was actually the one that was on for most of my labor, but she was fantastic throughout my labor when I did meet her. And the nurse practitioner that would be the only reason why it was overall a good experience. <laughs> she was she was a little difficult. How so? She asked me the same same questions every single time we went in like not listening to anything that i said so she'd ask oh do you know what you're having oh if it's a boy do you want him circumcised oh did you make this plan yet and it was i had her for almost every appointment so it was literally every week when i started going weekly she'd ask me the same thing and i'm like didn't we just discuss this like in depth and she couldn't even read an ultrasound. I know that sounds awful. But like, she had me in for an ultrasound. And she's like, Oh, we'll see if we can if we can find this or that. And she would be like, Oh, this is his head. And that looks like his spine. And I'm like, Yeah, that that would be his spine, actually.
0: Oh, dear. That's not uh, not great.
1: <laughs> no, but she she retired. I think it was just because she was so close to the end she just was done
0: yeah I can I can see how like being close to retirement might impact the care you give, but you it also shouldn't, right? Like, no, absolutely it shouldn't. Uh, and that it would be very aggravating to have the exact same questions asked of you each time. It's really nice when you go in and they remember like, kind of what you talked about briefly the last time. Um, I know when you have rotating providers, because like, w- it was similar with my midwife team, Like, I kind of saw someone different every time, but sometimes I'd get the same one twice in a row. Obviously, they don't know what we talked about at the last appointment exactly because like they see the notes, but sometimes you don't like include every fine detail. Uh, But it's nice when they can at least check to see, okay, yes, this is what I asked you last time. So I won't ask you that three more times in the next three appointments.
1: Yeah, everything's been great since I've gone back, since I said, you know, I'm pregnant again, I'm going through prenatal care at the same place. Mm -hmm. And the medical assistants, the doctors, they they all remember my son's name, and they'll ask me how he's doing and everything. And I'm like, see, these people pay attention, and they care, you know, that they're in it for important reasons, you know?
0: Yeah. And I think like remembering names, for example, of your children is like, it makes your uh, care so personalized. Like, I know, I always personally make an effort to remember, like, if I have a patient I see regularly, I try to remember what their like, child's name is, or their, their caregiver's name or whatever it may be it, it m- means a lot to people like I know it does for me too like as a person receiving care that's good that that there's been an improvement at least with the nurse practitioner leaving but it's unfortunate that she was so focused on kind of the end of her career versus your care
1: yeah but i'm also excited because they ended up replacing her position with a nurse midwife so i feel like that's going to change the dynamic of the office just a little bit too so that's pretty exciting
0: yeah the nurse midwife is a really cool uh career path so i'm sure it'll be good what was one thing that you loved about your care like that that you felt was like exceptional or like kind of like a step beyond what like is required
1: i think that two of my doctors actually went above and beyond every time i saw them they really they would sit down and talk with me and really listen to see how i was feeling and what was going on and everything they still explain things as much as possible even though i'm i'm an obstetrics nurse they still talk to me like they would talk to a patient they didn't talk to me like i knew everything so i thought that was pretty cool like yes they knew that i knew things but they didn't want to look at me like i'm part of their care team and talk to me like that they wanted to look at me like i was their patient and just having them listen to me like one time i went in I think it was probably around 36 weeks, because we did my growth scan and everything, I talked to the doctor that ended up delivering me, actually, and I was like, so these are kind of the ideas that I have for birth wishes. I don't want to call it a birth plan, since I know that things don't ever go as planned. And um, she was like, yeah, let, let's talk about it. It sounds great. Like if you want to talk to other doctors, because I don't know if I'm going to be on when you deliver um, to let them know kind of what you're hoping for. They actually had a spot for it too in um, my pre-registration paperwork and everything. And she actually made sure that when I delivered, I actually had all of those things. So it was, well, everything within reason since I did develop the preeclampsia, but it was, fantastic she really went above and beyond
0: yeah and that's that just makes such a difference in your birth and labor and prenatal care experience as well as well as postpartum was there anything that you could say needs improvement with ob care is there something that stands out to you that we could improve as like a system
1: in the future definitely education
0: yes um
1: so i did have one ob who um, she's actually the one that I went to for my dating scan, my first appointment and everything. Mm-hmm. And I'd ask her questions and she'd brush me off and she'd look at my husband and just talk to him the whole time. And I was like, no, talk to me, educate me. I'm the patient. She just kept on ignoring me. I had a subcoronic hemorrhage and I was asking like, oh, so what kinds of things do you suggest I should do? Cause you know, usually it's like pelvic grasp. Uh, rest uh, staying away from the caffeine all of that stuff and then she would talk to my husband and I'm like I'm the one that's putting things in my body I'm the one that's going to be working out and everything let me know what my limitations are after I ended up giving birth like I said everybody at the hospital knew that I was an obstetrics nurse so nobody came in and offered to help me with breastfeeding or anything which is such a name It really is. Because I was like, you know, I've never done this before. And even if you have, it never hurts to have somebody come and help you. Absolutely. Uh, So I was like, you know, I've taught people how to do it and everything because I've done a lot of research and I've educated myself. But it's a lot different when you're on the other side of things and you're actually trying to feed the baby yourself. I had, I think two times where I got him latched in the hospital, one for 13 minutes and one for five minutes. Other than that, I was just hand expressing the whole time. So when I went home, I was pumping and feeding. And of course there's nothing wrong with that, but I didn't I didn't want to build an oversupply from pumping all the time. And I had gotten nasty comments from people like, oh, I thought you were breastfeeding. And it is still breastfeeding being as hormonal as I was, I was like, nobody helped me. And now I'm going to get attitude from other people because they don't agree with pumping and feeding. I worked as hard as I could. I went and got a dipple shield and everything. And I know that a lot of LCs don't like them, but I was like, you know what? I need one. He won't match otherwise. And I think after about maybe two weeks, trying the nipple shield and him like pulling it off near the end of those two weeks, we got um, down in a rhythm and he was just doing fantastic. And now he won't even take a bottle.
0: Yeah, it's crazy how it can change with the commitment and the time and the education. That's why it's so important. Not everyone's gonna know where to look for answers. You're lucky that you have a background, but you still needed the help and yeah. Absolutely. Just because you're a nurse and it's your field, you're right. It's so different to be the person receiving the care.
1: It's actually made me want to go to um, get my IBC-LC and everything.
0: Yeah, my experience with breastfeeding as well. And that's why I've like kind of rerouted myself to go that way. Because I'm like, there's so many people who don't get the help they need. Or even you're saying LCs don't support, some LCs don't like the nipple shields. We have to kind of meet people where they are and try to work with what works for them and baby. I think that's a big part of being an LC, realizing that, yeah, this isn't the textbook way to do it, but if it's working for them, let's work from there. And you were able to do that, but there's probably so many moms who give up at that point.
1: There was one um, one patient that I had had that actually used a nipple shield with her previous pregnancies, and one of the LCs was like, well, she doesn't need one, and I said, well, it- makes her comfortable. And that's the only way she got her other child, the latch and everything. Um, So we ended up giving her a nipple shield and there was no problems there. I understand why they might not like them in certain situations and everything, but I've had one at one of my facilities that I used to work at that literally hit all of the nipple shields from us. And I didn't think that that was acceptable at all.
0: No, I don't think that's fair. and I don't think that's support. I think that's like telling you, you should do it this way or that's it. And that's why people give up because they feel like they have to fit in the constraints of this type of breastfeeding. But there's so many options that you can work on. Like you can start a certain way and still make it back to your end goal. Your example of how you work through and now your baby doesn't even take a bottle, so. Oh
1: yeah, but not everybody has that kind of background themselves, knowing what kinds of things will work. So it's it's a shame because so many people want to breastfeed, but then don't have the support to do so. No, exactly.
0: In regards to your preeclampsia, what was the management like and how were you diagnosed and also somebody had asked on Twitter, and this was a good question, were there any early signs for you that you, before you were diagnosed, that you kind of thought about it, especially as someone who works, again, in obstetrics and with a nursing career, like background,
1: education, et cetera? So I probably started seeing signs maybe like 22 to 25 weeks, but I only saw them when I was working. And I work overnights. So I was like, you know, maybe it's just because overnights is unhealthy. Yeah. But I I would have headaches, um, vision changes. There was one time that I almost passed out. And I actually, I was getting report in the hallway. And I had to lean back on the wall and grip onto the wall because I felt like I was going to fall over and pass out. It, it was awful. I would get really hot out of nowhere. Obviously, I had swelling in my feet and my ankles, like most people do. So I didn't really take that as too much of a concern, but I started noticing like if I had a hair tie on my wrist that it would leave an imprint after a little bit. And then um, a few times at work, one of the unit assistants would look at me and say, wow, you really don't look good. And I was like, I don't feel good. So they'd take my blood pressure and it was elevated. I tried calling the office and I, I didn't get an answer back. Um, I don't, I don't know if I called them during lunchtime or whatever, since I was, um, I was obviously sleeping when I got home from work. Yeah. But after that, I didn't notice it too, too frequently until at the very end of my pregnancy, I saw the, um, the NP and she was like, well, you do look puffy to me. And she was pointing out my face and everything. And I was like, I mean, some women do get a little puffier at the end of pregnancy, but I didn't notice it. I didn't. So she's like, and your blood pressure's a little high. I think it was like 136 over 94 or something like that. So it was a little high, especially when I was getting like 110s over 70s throughout my pregnancy and everything. She did a, a dip test and everything and I had trace protein. So they ended up Having me come back the next day for a blood pressure check, which was so much fun because it was just an hour drive uh, to get there and we had to take a ferry and everything. So I was like, so I'm driving for an hour to get my blood pressure checked and possibly be sent home. Well, I went there and my blood pressure was 140 over 100. So they wanted me to give them another specimen. And when I was in the bathroom. The medical assistant looked at my husband and said, well, I hope you have your bags packed. I'm like, don't tell him that. You're gonna concern him. So at 38 and two, I ended up getting induced probably starting around 5 p.m. And I just went straight for the Pitocin because I was already three centimeters dilated and yeah. about 90% of age.
0: And since you're getting right into it, uh, so you got induced, how was your Pitocin experience? <laughs>
1: um, in the beginning, I mean, I didn't really notice it or anything. I was walking around trying to get things going. And as I started getting a little bit of contractions, I was like making jokes because I make jokes to, to cope with stuff like a lot of people do. Yes. <laughs> and um, my husband and I were walking around and I was like, Pitocin? What Pitocin? People say this is rough, no way. And then they just kept on upping my Pitocin because I was like on their rapid protocol or whatever. So they just kept on upping it and upping it. And I was having coupling contractions. So I never really had any break whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So after being up for probably, it was more than 24 hours at that point, I was like, Oh, I'm exhausted. These contractions are just on top of each other. I was like, "Eh, I think it might be time for some some medication so it was pretty intense not as bad as I thought but it was still intense after not getting any sleep for such a long time
0: yeah I that same experience as you I had the coupling contractions with pitocin, and we hadn't slept I got induced at 8pm so we were already up for forever it just got to a point where I was like no I think I need the epidural now because I have to take a nap or else I won't have the energy to push when it comes
1: I've heard those naps are so great but I didn't get one because everybody just kept coming into my room and talking to me
0: (laughs) was it staff or
1: um there was a volunteer doula that came in and talked to me and then actually after I got my it was a combined spinal epidural after I got that they ruptured my membranes Mm -hmm. and um so I was five centimeters dilated so I told my photographer that she could come on over and she ended up coming in so I was just talking to the doula and my photographer because my photographer is also a doula they got along very well and my husband was just passed out on the cot next to me (laughs) and when he woke up he looked around like where did everybody come from (laughs) he's probably so confused (laughs) oh he was?
0: And uh, do you want to just talk about the uh, combined spinal epidural for people who don't know what it is?
1: Yeah, sure. So at first, um, when they go to give you the spinal, they put a little bit of medication into the spinal space so it just works. Um, quicker, you have quicker relief, and then they end up up threading the epidural catheter into the epidural space. So basically, it's just like an epidural with a little bit of medication in the beginning. So you start feeling um, relief sooner rather than later.
0: So your husband was at your birth, was that your only family member, and then you had your photographer, obviously, as well.
1: Yes, I did not feel comfortable with any other family member in the room. And my mom was absolutely fine with that. She's like, I've been through it four times. I don't need to see it. I was a little concerned that my mother in law would want to be there. But I already assigned my husband onto that. He's like, Nope, I'll handle it if she says anything.
0: Yeah, yeah, that was that was the same. Like I we had people in the waiting room, which was fine. But I did not want anyone like it's a very personal experience I and I don't like if other people want a bunch of people there that's their choice but for me I just want my husband and the midwives and that's it
1: <laughs> oh yeah I've seen so many people have like 10 support people and I'm like yeah. if that if that makes you happy but if you really don't want someone here let us know exactly like tell us so that we can help you yeah. get rid of
0: them. because it's hard to relax <laughs> for some people
1: it was overwhelming enough having as much staff as I had in there yeah, I can imagine. so
0: and how long was your labor?
1: So my labor was my labor was 15 hours from about the time we started the pitocin until the end of pushing, and I pushed for a little less than two hours.
0: Yeah, so we our labor was almost exactly the same, and same with our pushing. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> funny. And did they have any management for your preeclampsia during labor, like other than? I, everyone gets their blood pressure checked so that wouldn't be one but anything additional
1: they checked my blood pressure a little more frequently but yeah. they also had they had me on um, um, monitoring pretty much all of the time um, just because so much can go wrong with Pitotin and everything yeah. um, it can be a miracle drug but if you put it up a little too high obviously the baby can react and yeah. they just want to make sure everything's okay.
0: Before you got the epidural, uh, what kind of non-medical coping did you use to deal with the pain?
1: I walked, I had my husband put counter pressure on my back, I used the labor birthing ball, whatever you want to call it, and I used hydrotherapy as well.
0: And out of those, which would you say was the most effective?
1: I think that the birthing ball and the hydrotherapy were both pretty effective. Um, but, of course, they only lasted so long. I just ended up feeling like I just need to keep moving and keep doing different things in order to make myself as comfortable as possible. So I couldn't stay in the water too long or I couldn't stay on the ball too long. Um, but when I was having, like, back pain and everything, that counter pressure was fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's
0: the best for back. Oh, my God. And then back to the epidural... Did you have any side effects from it, like either uh, when you got it or afterwards?
1: Um, nope, I didn't even feel them give it to me or anything. I didn't have anything afterwards. I actually don't even think I had a single headache. That's um, yeah, it's it's fantastic because everybody thinks that epidurals give you headaches, which they do in rare cases. But I went in already having headaches because of the preeclampsia. Right. So I was expecting to have them, but I didn't.
0: Well, that's good that it was kind of like a relief for it. (laughs) And did you have any tearing or complications after uh, the birth?
1: So I had a very small first degree that I think she threw a stitch or two in. And then I had a I had bilateral periurethral abrasions. That was a little painful when I was trying to go to the bathroom after yeah, delivery. Imagine. <laughs> Other than that, I didn't have any kind of complications or anything. The only thing that really bothered me was when I tried getting out of bed to go to the bathroom for the first time. And I almost fell because I couldn't feel my legs at all. I was like, I really, really gotta go. So they're like, well, you, you can go on the bedpan then. And I was like, I'm in my early 20s, do I really have to go to the bathroom on a bedpan? They're like, well, you can't walk, so yeah, you do
0: your options are kind of limited at that point. <laughs>
1: and I knew that something would happen like along those lines. And I told my husband, I didn't want people to come and visit us or anything at all in the hospital. I was like, they can see us when we get home. Let us have our time. You have no idea what it's going to be like for me postpartum. But then my, my parents drove nine hours when they heard that I was getting induced. So then I had to let my in-laws come and see me and everything. So I was just like, oh everybody's coming to visit and then of course when i had to go to the bathroom was when my parents were there and i'm like get out of my room i guess
0: yeah (laughs) oh yeah i know i know that struggle Uh, (laughs) it's yeah (laughs) it's hard you said you think you got a stitch or two Could you feel it when it went in or was the epidural still going pretty strong at that point for you?
1: Um, I didn't feel it. I was actually worried that I would just because like at the end of my pushing, they kind of did something similar to McRoberts maneuver, um, where they push on your stomach and everything because the baby has shoulder dystocia, but my baby didn't have dystocia. They just didn't really explain to me why they pushed on my stomach, but they did. And I felt that and it was painful. So I was like, oh, I'm probably gonna feel this too if I felt that. But I don't know if it was just because I was paying so much attention to the baby or if it was because the epidural was still working well. I just, I didn't feel anything.
0: In terms of final thoughts, uh, so you didn't have any side effects from your epidural. You didn't have any headaches. Uh, was your preeclampsia then pretty much just managed and there wasn't much you had to do at home for it?
1: Nope, they just wanted me to look out for signs and symptoms. So like the changes in vision, headaches, gaining weight, facial swelling, things like that. And for your
0: neck, like for this pregnancy, are you monitored more because you had preeclampsia in
1: the last pregnancy? This pregnancy is ridiculous. They want me to do 24-hour urine collection um, within that first 20 weeks and then they want me to do it again in my third trimester. They're doing additional preeclamptic labs in the beginning of pregnancy and at the end of pregnancy. Can't remember what the last thing they were doing was, um, but they're just doing so much more monitoring this time around than they did last time. And I was just like, do I really have to just collect my urine for 24 hours? That's
0: a lot of urine. (laughs) When I see people drop that off, I'm like, holy cow.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I was actually talking to my husband, I was like, what if I fill this? He's like, you're not going to, I'm like, but what if I do? Because they said if I spill any of it, that I have to start over.
0: Did you have any regrets, uh, like anything you kind of wanted to do in labor that you didn't get to do? Or do you feel like you and going with your birth wish list, you kind of hit all your wishes or close to?
1: I had everything that was feasible, and that was good enough for me. I told my husband that, you know, it was kind of the thing that I was saying for probably the first two months after delivery. I was like, you know, that went nothing like I had wanted it to, but it was still a great experience. He was like, yeah, I mean, if you were happy, that's what's most important, you know, um, because he knew that he had to kind of tiptoe around me, because at the same point, I was like, I wanted to do this and I wanted to do that. Like I wanted to have an unmedicated water birth and I wanted to, obviously I wanted to have a healthy pregnancy and everything. So I was blaming myself. I was like, my body failed my son and I didn't get to go unmedicated like I wanted. So in the beginning, uh, that along with the having difficulty breastfeeding, I was like, I am a failure. So basically my only regret that I have was not taking it easier on myself because I know that I would never, like if a patient said something like that to me, I would sit with them for as long as it took to talk to them and say, you know, it's not your fault that you got ill. It's not your fault that the Pitocin was as strong as it was and you didn't get sleep because you were in prodromal labor for a week beforehand, you know? I just think that we, I, I think that we have um, unrealistic expectations for ourselves.
0: Yeah, I think that is often uh, something that pregnant women experience. Uh, we're not set up necessarily to have realistic expectations. And uh, there's a lot of guilt afterwards, like mom guilt, that we shouldn't have. Because it, it, a lot of it, like you said, is out of our control. And is there any advice that you would give to a laboring mother or someone who's pregnant or about to have a baby?
1: Basically, if you have any kind of concern about anything, and your provider is if you feel like they're not taking it seriously, or they're blowing it off, always seek a second opinion. And especially in times right now, like with COVID and everything, I keep seeing some moms say that they can't have a support person in the room. I know that it's horrible to not have somebody that you know, personally, and that you can trust and everything. But Your nurse is also a fantastic resource. If you need them to explain something to you, ask them. If you aren't comfortable with something that the care team is planning to do, let your nurse know and they'll advocate for you because that's their biggest job. That's kind of why they went into nursing is because they care about what you want as a patient. Exactly. And just because you are a nurse working during COVID, how
0: has it been? Like, do do you find that a lot of people are struggling with uh, the, like, some of the precautions or not having a support person or are, are you seeing a lot of people kind of show a lot of resilience in that situation and actually do really well?
1: At our facility, they're allowed to have a support person okay. and they've never, had, um, they've never had like a restriction on that. So luckily enough, I haven't seen patients with that issue, but I've seen issues where their support person has had to leave. And they tried to switch it out with, like, they tried to switch that support person with somebody else. Yeah. So, I mean, that's not allowed for our protocols and everything right now. I mean, that makes it very difficult on some people. But in that specific case, that mom was going through a lot. It was, um, she was on postpartum and everything. It was during her postpartum period. And I sat and talked with her probably for at least five hours out of my shift, wow. um, just throughout different just throughout different times mm-hmm. um, and everything. She'd ask me questions and I'd explain to her and everything. We have a lot of like social work cases where I'm from and everything. Yeah. I've been doing that a lot more frequently now because it seems like we've had them coming in a lot more frequently. Mm-hmm. So I've sat down and talked to moms a lot just because either their support person doesn't really know what's going on or what they can say because they've never been on that side of things or their support person ends up leaving because they're so upset at whatever's going on. So I've been sitting and talking with moms a lot. It can be very difficult for them, but I've also seen a lot of resilience. I don't know if it's necessarily the moms that I've worked with, but they're like, I've done this, 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 and this to turn my life around and I'll do this, 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 and this for my daughter or my son just to prove that, you know, I'm fit to be a good parent and everything because you know, that's usually why social work gets involved. I've seen a lot of resilience and a lot of determination Mm -hmm. um, despite the fact that we're in a national pandemic with very little resources.
0: And that's that's comforting to hear because I, I don't know I worry about I worried about every person that I know that announces like a pregnancy right now it, and even if they have tons of support and a great life and everything I was worried that the situation it's very heavy like as a new mom I and I mean I guess I'm not a new mom anymore because she's eight months almost but I it's been heavy for me to be home with her and feel like I'm not like contributing for example to the workforce necessarily I don't know. I just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things going on. It's it's heavy, like mental health wise. So you worry about pregnant women and women going into labor and new mothers and stuff who, especially when they don't have support, how are they handling everything? But it's great to hear that there, that some people are still persevering despite everything going on around them.
1: There's a lot going on. I actually cut back my hours a lot too just so someone could stay home with the baby because my husband's also a registered nurse. Right. Um so he's out in the workforce 5 days out of the week, so I couldn't work my normal 3 12-hour shifts that I do um and make sure someone was home with the baby because all of the family that's close to us isn't really taking anything seriously they're not social distancing and everything but they'll also complain about not seeing us yeah. so that's a that's a whole different conversation we're dealing with that and then obviously i am expecting again obviously my husband and i were so excited we decided to start trying around when the baby was seven months or about to turn seven months because it took us five cycles with him. So we're like, oh, it's gonna take a while. Well, <laughs> no, I, I got pregnant on the first try. So luckily luckily enough for me, I guess you are more fertile after having a baby. Yes. <laughs> but um, They told us, they're like, you know, you can't have your support person here other than for the first appointment. Um, So they can be there for the ultrasound and everything. And then I was like, well, I can't though, because he has to stay home with my son, because my son's obviously not going anywhere right now with all of this going on. And of course, they didn't say that I could have two people with me. So I was like, very, very concerned. I was like, you know, what if I go and find out there's not a heartbeat? And then I have to drive for an hour and a half to get home by yourself. You know, and my husband, yeah, my husband wasn't there. So I, I definitely feel a little more hesitant and a little more anxious and concerned than I was last time. I could only imagine being like a first time mom and going through everything right now. It it can definitely be very pressing to think about.
0: I guess that's why support is so important, whether that's your family, your friends, uh, any loved one, or even just your your healthcare providers, like trusting and uh, like having a good relationship with your healthcare providers at any level of pregnancy, birth, postpartum is very important because if you don't have support at home, you have to feel comfortable enough to say something. And especially during these times when mental health is obviously an even bigger issue than it already is in, uh, during pregnancy and postpartum, it's so important to consider that when you're uh, finding a care provider or if, again, you said like seeking a second opinion, that's an important step that you might need to take to support yourself through everything going on in you and outside of you.
1: And that's why I use the same provider this time around. I actually requested my first appointment to be with the provider that delivered me because she was so supportive. Actually, when I went for my postpartum visit, The first doctor that I saw was like, well, what kind of birth control do you plan to use? And I said, abstinence. And she said, no, like actual birth control. And I was like, abstinence worked for me before. If I can, if I did it before, I can do it again. I know how babies are made. (laughs) And um, then she was like, well, you don't wanna get pregnant for at least a year. And I was like, you don't know what I want because that's not the first time she said it to me. Like I said something about how twins ran in my family. And she's like, you don't want twins. And I was like, geez, you don't know what I want. So I saw this other provider, um, because we do a two week follow up and then a six week follow up. Mm -hmm. And then I saw her at the six week follow up. And she was like, get pregnant whenever you want to. If you're comfortable with being abstinent, be abstinent. So I saw her for my first appointment. And she's like, Oh my god, how are you this is so exciting she asked how the baby was she's like i knew i was gonna see you soon but i didn't think it was gonna be this soon and i was like well when you have a perfect one at home they trick you into making another
0: (laughs) isn't that the truth i'm currently mentally not doing that i'm like i have to go back to work i have to go back to work at least for a little bit
1: oh yeah but apparently they they trick you because the next one's not as easy apparently
0: I've heard that. That makes me a little bit scared, but uh, I'm still excited. So I'm really excited for you, and I'm very thankful that you were willing to share your story. Maybe you'll get to share your second story in the future.
1: Yeah, and hopefully it'll be a little bit different, so I can give you some diversity for your podcast.
0: Exactly. I'm sure it will be. Even if if it maybe even starts similar, or some parts are similar, there's always going to be different aspects. That's the... Miracle of birth, I guess. Thank you for listening to the Elephant in the Womb podcast. Show us some love by liking or subscribing to this podcast. You can also visit the blog's website at www.elephantinthewomb.ca. And you can subscribe to our email list for updates on the blog and the podcast. As always, thanks to my guests and thank you for listening. Katie out.